Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and tonight we're going to take a quite a kind of a deep dive into the American counterculture of the 1960s, uh, really the product of the Vietnam War um, and the, the kind of the crisis that created um, and the opportunities that that creates for particularly for uh, Richard Nixon but also for the uh, Southern Democrat George Wallace. Um, uh, the reason why I want to talk about this is, from time to time, I, I like to look at the relationship between popular culture uh, and the um, big transitions, big historical transitions of the, the 20th century. Uh, and there are few better places than to look at the um, the, the, the kind of the, the cultural and social climate of late 1960s America where the uh, twin factors of the counterculture and um, the civil rights movement had created uh, a sort of a climate of social radicalism uh, that was becoming increasingly entrenched. It wasn't simply... Um, it was moving beyond the the kind of the, 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 the radical fringes you often find in societies. 
and finding its place um, as being much more established in society. And so this is what I want to talk about tonight, and I'm looking at it through the medium of the Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young song Ohio, which was the the kind of the, the lament and um, the anger um, towards the, the Kent State shooting of 1970, where students at Kent State University, Ohio, uh, were shot dead uh, protesting uh, against the Vietnam War. Um, I want to talk uh, about this because I'm reading again. We've d- dived into this book once or twice before. Um, 33 Revolutions Per Minute, uh, Dorian Linsky, his history of protest songs. Uh, and it begins in, this chapter begins in 1970. Uh, and he writes... One day in in the middle of May 1970, Neil Young was hanging out at the house of his road manager, Leo Makota, in Pescadero, California, when David Crosby, his bandmate in Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, handed him a copy of Life magazine. It contained a vivid account and shocking photographs of the killing of four students by the Ohio National Guard during an anti-war demonstration at Kent State University on the 4th of May. Sitting outside on Makota's sunlit porch, Young took a guitar, proffered by Crosby, and in short order wrote a song about the killings, Ohio. I remember getting to the nuts at the end of the song. It was so moved, I was so moved, uh, Crosby told Young's biographer, Jimmy McDonough. The hair was standing up on my arms. I was freaked out because I felt it so strongly, screaming, why, why? Crosby phoned Graham Nash, who was working on songs with Stephen Stills at the record plant in Los Angeles, and instructed him to book a studio session right away. He and Young flew down to LA and recorded the song live in just a few takes. At the end, uh, according to um, Young, Crosby was in tears. Needing a B-side, the quartet sat down in four chairs, knee to knee, and sang an a cappella version of their regular set closure about closer about casualties in Vietnam, finding the cost of freedom. They gave the tracks to Atlantic Records boss Ahmet Ertegen, who rushed the single into production and had it on the streets within days, wrapped in a sleeve which uh, re, uh, which reprinted the section of the Bill of Rights that guarantees free assembly. Of course, this was the the right that was taken away from the students who were shot dead by National Guardsmen and the students that weren't, in fact. They were dispersed violently uh, on campus. Ohio, writes Dorian Linsky, is perhaps the most powerful topical song ever recorded. Moving, memorable and perfectly timed. Um, I'll put a link, by the way, to Ohio uh, in the... um, uh, the blurb for this this podcast because it's a it's a great track uh, and really captures that moment of disbelief, bewilderment, and rage. Um, but it turned out to be to signify the end of the era of protest songwriting, which had begun with the folk revival, rather than a th- rather than a thrilling rebirth. There were several reasons for this: some artistic, others personal. But one major factor was the direction in which America was moving. So, what we see in the late 1960s 
is this um, era of reaction and fragmentation. The earlier days of the civil rights movement, so the standard historiography goes, and you know that that can be disputed a little bit, uh, was one of um, uh, optimism. You could argue. Um, it really depends who 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 one is. Uh, for for many white Americans, uh, the fact that um, the civil rights movement was largely non-violent and that um, civil rights that cost white Americans relatively little um, uh, and and helped to absolve the kind of the guilty conscience of white America. Um, it all seemed kind of rather like a win-win. There was the uh, the, the Kennedy years, which, uh, for reasons best known um, to, to Kennedy's biographers, seemed to spark moments of optimism. But with hindsight, Kennedy was a highly overrated president, uh, a man who accomplished very, very little uh, and who uh, seemed to... Uh, be, be largely um, uh, a figure who, who thrived on, on rhetoric uh, rather than achievement. But the uh, 1960s that uh, is, is kind of popularised this, this uh, age of kind of um, progression, which I believe is you know, largely illusory, certainly had gra- begun to grind to a halt by the late 1960s. Um, the 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 boom eras of the 60s was uh, era of the 60s was slowing down, uh, and the Vietnam War was pres- was by 67, 68, 69, placing huge social and, and uh, political burdens on American society, uh, and not to mention its its economic costs for America. Um, the 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 progressive left found itself. Um, but after 1968, beginning to fragment um, and to do what um, the left around the world will in- invariably do and um, become ever more factional um, with um, infighting and accusations of um, uh, political and or perhaps revolutionary impurity. And the um, the right began to sense that there was a backlash emerging across America to the counterculture, uh, and the the figure on the right that centered centered this um, most successfully was, of course, Richard Nixon. So the the the, the dream of the sixties, uh, which was always a, a kind of a diffuse and uh, nebulous uh, dream. Um, began to uh, form into a kind of a a, a fragmented and um, a disunited America by, by 1969. Of course, there are social tensions in all societies, but at certain points in, 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 a, in given societies, those become, you know, really very, very pronounced, and they were by the end of the 1960s in, in America. Um, The optimism and sense of unified purpose that had sustained the music of the civil rights movement was dying, writes Dorian Linsky. In its place, violence and factionalism on the left, backlash on the right. By May 1970, the country appeared to be breaking apart at a speed uh, so terrifying that that it, uh, it left songwriters, among others, confounded. 
Phil Ox um, closed, closed his ironical, uh, ironically titled Greatest Hits album that year with a soul-sick elegy, No More Songs. The drums are in the dawn, he sang, and all the voices gone, and it seems that there are no more songs. No more songs of um, uh, that, that encapsulate the age. No more songs of of, of freedom. No more songs um, demanding um, uh, demanding that things get better. So, in, in 1969, the Stooges, um, Iggy Pop's uh, band um, from uh, Ann Arbor in Michigan, heralded the end of the decade um, with a line: "Well, it's 1969, okay." War across the USA. Um, Dorian Linsky writes, It was only a slight exaggeration. For many Americans, it did seem as if the Union was becoming fatally divided. Reading the cultural runes in the aftermath of Chicago a year earlier, of course, that's referring to the 1968 um, Democratic National Convention uh, riots in Chicago. Uh, there's um, a feature film on uh, Netflix at the moment, the, sh- the trial of the Chicago Seven, um, which gives a kind of a rough version of of what happened there. But what it doesn't show is how um, the chaos that um, was largely the fault of the police in Chicago. Um, how that kind of played out across the country and the social attitudes that emerged popularly as a result. Columnist Joe Kraft had been the first to articulate a new concept of U- in US politics, Middle America. Pete Hamill wrote a similar piece for New York magazine headlined The Revolt of the White Lower Middle Class. These were going to be Nixon's people. Reporters who had tasted police nightsticks for themselves in Chicago found to their dismay that many of their readers and viewers sided with Mayor Daley, the uh, Democratic uh, mayor who uh, wanted to batter the hippies off the streets um, and who essentially uh, turned Chicago into an armed camp. Disgusted at the sight of long hairs running wild in the streets and singing the praises of Ho Chi Minh, we were hated, said a key anti-war protester, Todd Gitlin. We were seen, not inaccurately, as part of a radical ensemble that really wanted to turn a great deal upside down. Most of the country didn't want to have um, that much turned upside down. Uh, mo- this is largely true, I'd say, in in most societies, most of the time that uh, during periods of you know, counter-cultural politics or um, radical, cult- uh, radical cultural change or social change, these things are, are really confined to, to the margins. The vast majority of people in the 1960s in America were not hippies and would only have encountered hippies by seeing them on the TV. The, the vast majority lived largely... Um, socially conservative lives and would have quite enjoyed the um, improvement in living standards overall across America during the decade but were certainly bemused, confused and resentful towards these idiotic troublemakers as far as they saw them if not slightly 
suspicious of them, worried by them, and wondering could these people bring down society. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Um, nobody um, was keener to exploit middle America's fears and frustrations than Richard Nixon. During the 1968 election campaign, Nixon sought to colonise the middle ground, promising both an honourable end to the war and law and order at home. So taking away America's greatest pain point, but also undoing um, what many Americans saw as the anarchy of the, of the 1960s. And Nixon talked in terms of crime uh, in uh, various kind of racist dog whistle ways. Um, after the successes of the civil rights movement, it wasn't possible um, for uh, politicians to weaponize um, uh, uh, white racism and it was probably never possible in a presidential race anyway perhaps you could do this sort of thing in the south but what you could do is talk about crime and white americans particularly white americans in the south would decode this as uh, the, the the dangers of the black male uh, and by saying that they were going to be tough on crime they were going to lock away criminals they were going to go after these guys um, it was a way of signalling to white Americans in the South that a president is going to be there for them. And often there was in the South, in the you know from in the the century since the Civil War, a, a suspicion of anybody in Washington. So Nixon he offers to deliver these two big pledges to, to white Americans. This was a, a huge part of Nixon's Southern strategy. Um, in the event, he beat Hubert Humphrey, the Democratic candidate, by less than 1% of the popular vote. Had the Democratic convention not been such a catastrophe, had disgruntled, disgruntled peace plank supporters not deserted Humphrey, had the renegade Democrat George Wallace not siphoned off millions of Southern votes, had the South Vietnamese president uh, not sabotaged President Johnson's peace talks, 
then Nixon might have lost again, as he had done to Kennedy eight years earlier. He was not about to risk such a second, such a close call a second time. So, the counterculture, um, some of its detractors, some of its critics, actually uh, from the, the kind of like the centre left of American politics say. It's because of you that we got Nixon in the first place. If you hadn't, um, uh, if you hadn't demonstrated in Chicago uh, and caused absolute anarchy, there the um, there wouldn't have been this magnificent gift to the Nixon campaign. But the the other figure that's worth kind of talking about here very very briefly is George Wallace. George Wallace, um, the Southern Democrat uh, candidate. Wallace was the red in tooth and claw version of middle America. He pitched himself as a radical conservative who cried, I want you for the Wallace Rebellion, and had the lyrics to Battle Him of the Republic rewritten as his campaign theme. He stands up for law and order, the policeman on the beat. He'll make it safe to once again walk safely in the street. He liked nothing better than a showdown with the hippies. At his final election rally in New York, he announced, We ought to turn this country over to the police for two or three years and everything would be all right. While outside, anti-war demonstrators helped his case by burning Confederate flags and scuffling with officers. Wallace's campaign collapsed after his running mate, Curtis LeMay, of the carpet bombing of Japan fame, uh, publicly admitted that he would be prepared to nuke Hanoi. So there you go, for, uh, somebody, somebody who's sp- a leopard whose spots were not changing particularly. But by then he had demonstrated the usefulness of the politics of, post- pol- of polarization. Nixon's team devoted a great deal of energy to wooing disgruntled Southerners away from Wallace. Um, so Wallace split the Democrats and then handed the difference to Nixon, um, not intentionally of course. One strategist commissioned a country ballad, Dick Nixon is a decent man who can bring our country back, only to find that most of the big Nashville stars that he wanted to sing it were in the Wallace camp. Nixon's message to middle America was Wallace light. As Philox astutely observed, Nixon got across his image. It's us against them. I mean, no matter what you think of me, I'm a regular, straight American guy. And if you're not going to have me, you're going to have some hairy freak with dope in the streets and the destruction of your, of the country. So take your choice. And that's the game he played very, very well. So Nixon was really, really good at weaponizing these, these cultural divides. And he was really, really good at um, articulating the uh, anxieties of ordinary Americans. These were uh, Americans who believed that they were not being heard. They were what Nixon called the silent majority. People who, of course, were heard unfrequently, normally when people have um, a a kind of a a considerable amount of um, social... Uh, influence and uh, you know a reasonable amount of of wealth and security, and they, these you know the the lower middle classes in America during the 1960s were not um, uh, anywhere near the kind of the precariat that they are now, 
these are people who had uh, benefited from the New Deal, from the Great Society, and they had also benefited from powerful trade unions. Um, so, and they were probably, um, in many cases, one generation out of being working class poor. So they didn't want to go back down the social ladder, but there is a, but there was a uh, a powerful sense that. Um, there was no force in America allowed to make that happen other than the failure of America itself and these uh, unpatriotic uh, layabouts um, in, the eye, in their eyes were the people who were going to do that and they also, the hippie culture just seemed absurd, strange and alien to them there were abundant opportunities um, handed to Nixon to inflame the resentments and the angers and the suspicions and the fears of his base uh, yet further um, as the the trial of the Chicago 7 um, had um, angered middle America he had also caused greater radicalization uh, on the uh, on the student left um, the uh, Dorian Linsky writes at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor disillusioned SDS members the Students for Democratic Society formed a new hardline faction the Jesse James Gang which advocated aggressive confrontation politics other radical new groups inspired by the Black Panthers example sprang up uh, among them the May Day Tribe the Crazies um, the uh, Alice's Restaurant Marxist-Leninist um, and the White Panthers. The White Panthers were the brainchild of John Sinclair. Uh, John Lennon wrote a famous protest song um, uh, in f- uh, uh, to appeal for John Sinclair's freedom after he was uh, arrested um, and uh, given ten years for possessing two uh, marijuana joints. Um, the yes, the White Panthers were the brainchild of John Sinclair. Uh, having uh, uh, the provocative manager of the Detroit Garage Rockers, the MC5. Having moved to Detroit to find urban adventure, he was exhilarated by the city's 1967 uprising. According to the MC5's Michael Davis, who attended the riots, we wanted to rewrite its society. We wanted to build it up from the ground up, you know? Tear everything down and start over and do it right this time. Sinclair founded the White Panthers in November 1968, with a 10-point programme containing the memorable prescription Total Assault on the Culture by Any Means Necessary, including rock and roll, dope, and fucking in the streets. You can't approach the White Panther Party without a sense of humour, he, he said later. I mean, on the one hand, we were serious political revolutionaries who wanted to overthrow the government. On the other hand, we were on acid. Even a passing glance at the White Panther Manifesto, which called for the freeing of prisoners, the return of the barter system and free food, clothes, housing, dope, music, bodies, medical care, everything for free for everybody, would have revealed that acid had the upper hand. For a few months, especially after the Chicago performance, the MC5 seemed to fulfil the counterculture's wildest dreams of rock stars as revolutionaries. I'm so useless. What will happen to me when the revolution comes, wailed one awestruck spectator. But despite recording the incendiary Kick Out the Jams and the, ver- and the version of John Lee Hooker's song about the 1967, riot, 1967 riots, The Motor City is Burning, 
he fell well short of the Sinclair's ambitions, and he turned up to his other white um, he, he turned to his other white panther protégés, the Up. After he was jailed for pot's possession, he wrote an anguished letter to MC5's guitarist Wayne Kramer. You guys wanted to be bigger than the Beatles, and I wanted you to be bigger than Chairman Mao. There is um, a, a really interesting chapter, and I'm going to be looking at this soon, in Julia Lovell's uh, International History of Maoism, Maoism a Global History, uh, on uh, the impact of Maoism and the counterculture in 1960s America. There's not enough time to talk about that now, but this is just the, the, the first section of what I'm going to say about Ohio, because there is um, obviously you know a, a lot more to discuss about this this period of time. I think for me the the interesting thing is, um, and I don't I I don't believe that the Vietnam War itself fully explains um, the the transition from a, a society where social conservatism has a profoundly powerful hold to one where um, there are high profile instances of people speaking in in overtly revolutionary terms i mean of course america has um you know as we said the, the vast majority of people living in america at the time did didn't share these views but the the fact that a tiny vocal minority did and were able to um project those views and were able to grab media attention and were able to shape um, the the discourses on the left and unfortunately achieved radical reaction on the right again is is one of the really really fascinating aspects of America in the 1960s and raises all sorts of questions which we'll continue with next time anyway thanks very much do check us out at explaininghistory.org um, there is always a, a few new things going on there each week um, and if you can fund the podcast please do you can find us um, via a link to the Patreon uh, on the website which is again www.explaininghistory.org um, Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.